State of the Arts, a podcast where art forms are embraced and artists are celebrated. I'm Derek, your Master of Ceremonies, subbing in for Lee this week, and this is episode 82 of the LGBTQ Pride Month special. My guest this week is the absolutely hilarious New York comedian Dylan Adler, probably best known for his poignant show entitled Rape Victims Are Horny Too. Dylan also co-composed Good Morning New York, which played at NYMF, as well as an off-Broadway run at the Players Theater in 2020. As you may have guessed, Dylan is also quite the musician, having studied music composition at NYU Steinhardt, where he was awarded the Alan Menken Scholarship. The prestigious New York Comedy Festival once called him a comic to watch, and we've got him right here. He's gay, he's Asian, he's Jewish, he is a triple threat. Dylan, I am beyond excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me, Derek. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Okay, I'm just going to dive into my questions. Since this is the LGBTQ Pride Month special, I'd love to know what gay pride means to you. The Gay Pride Month has meant um, a lot of things to me, and it's varied throughout the years. I know, like, my first... Gay Pride Parade I went to in San Francisco was so nice and so, and like I went with my other gay friend who I grew up with. Even being in a very, except like, you know, liberal city, uh, homophobia, you know, of course, um, like transphobia and all is like very rampant and very, um, very, very prevalent. So to just to be able to have a month and, and like time to celebrate yourself and our queer identities this is a really powerful thing i absolutely agree with you i'm so i'm so glad there's a month where where we get to celebrate something so important and shine light on it yeah totally totally and that you are such an important symbol of something so important so many artists talk about their coming out stories and i hear some good some bad I'm wondering if you want to talk about what it was like for you. Yes. So when I came out, the first person I came out to was actually my my twin brother. And we had just, um, we were with a group of friends, like junior year of high school. Um, One of them had revealed their queer identity to us. And we were talking about how brave it was and how inspired we were. I told my brother, I'm like, you know, honestly, most porn I watch is of guys. And he was like, same. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, okay, so we're both gay. And I guess that's what that means. And now we have to come out to our mom and dad. And so we both did, and we came out, um, in which we are very lucky because our parents were very accepting, um, which is not always the case, and we're very fortunate for that. And then whenever we came out, we would come out as like a duos. So it'd be like, you know, if you don't like one of us, you don't like both of us um, kind of situation. Yeah, that's kind of what the coming out experience was for us both. Um, We did it together for the most part. And for the most part, it was was positive, like all positive, which is not always the case. And we're very fortunate for that. It's so wonderful that you and your twin had each other. Yeah. And I know in your show that I was at the other night, you said that he's one of your best friends, and that's he so is. terrific. It's true, he's like my best friend. That's I call great. him every day. Okay, I'm gonna get through my Barbara Walters question soon, don't worry, we're gonna get to the comedy. <laughs> In my intro, I mentioned rape victims are horny too. Mm-hmm. While I was doing my research, I learned that this is something you have a very close connection to. 
we talk about that a little? Yeah, so that is a show that I wrote with um, my friend Kelly Bachman, and um, it's a show that is very important to both of us, and it, it basically, it's about us trying to heal from rape trauma and talk about kind of what we experience and go through on a daily basis and what it was like immediately after the traumatic event and then what it's like to, you know, feel, you know, um, gaslit or victim blamed by family members or friends or therapists. And it really, um, writing the show with her as together was a healing experience because we shared so many, there are so many things we shared that in common and so many other survivors have a shared experience with that and um it's like you know a little we try to highlight all of the complexity like of it like how we personally like we're horny as fuck and sometimes we want to be like perceived and seen as hot and blah 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 but also don't want to be touched too but we try to convey it through like a comedic lens and through a joyful lens and like like it's a comedy album so we're trying to go through that darkness and that place through a place of light and comedy and like we're you're two friends and you're at a party and we're like kind of we're all vibing and we're having this shared experience and we're laughing sometimes and so I think that's that's what the show means to me and it's a very it was very important in my own healing and still is I was singing, uh, Tell Me I'm Hot. Yeah, thank you. And my wife, having no context, was just looking at me like I was totally crazy. But it's such a song. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. That's like one of our favorites. It's like we try to, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's like a song that we were inspired by like Britney Spears, Give Me More, or like kind of a pussy, like that kind of um, disco stick, Lady Gaga feel, but about um, not wanting to be touched. Yeah, and I, I could definitely understand you, you being a little apprehensive given what you've been through. So mm-hmm. this song, song is both poignant and funny, and the fact that you've taken what you, you and Kelly have taken what you've been through and turning it into something, you know, even comedic to yeah. not just help yourselves heal, but help other people mm-hmm. heal, that's just so powerful. Thank you. That's um, that's our goal. That's what we want to do and achieve with the show. And eventually, we want to make it to the special. Eventually, tour it, make it an album. Well, I'm, I'm just I'm just in awe. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Okay, so you're Japanese on your mother's side and Jewish on your father's. Mm-hmm. Very interesting combination. <laughs> what was it like growing up? experiencing these two cultures and how did it influence your comedy um so my mom is third generation japanese american um my grandparents were like a lot of japanese americans are like fourth or even fifth generation because a lot of um people who um immigrated from japan immigrated very early on and i mean like my grandparents their family experienced internment and so I didn't grow up learning Japanese. Um, I wanted to, but I mean, like, we, I grew up with making Japanese food with my mom. And, like, there are a lot of, like, you know, universal things about having a Asian mom that everyone can experience, like, being <laughs> both in fear and also loving them very 
dad on my dad's side, the Jewish side. Um, we grew up, you know, celebrating Passover and Hanukkah and Rosh Hashanah. I didn't have a bar mitzvah. I really wanted a bar mitzvah. But um, the funny thing is, typically, you know, what you would think, like, my mom seems like the more... She is very... She is, like, such a... She's someone who, like, really influenced me comedically because she's known as, like, a, the funny one in her friend group. She's very loud. When she gets together with her family... Like, she, like, all of them are very loud, and, like, when they tell jokes, they, like, scream it, you know? It's, like, it's kind of that, and that's a very influence. Like, that's something that I love comedically, and then my dad is a little more reserved and quiet and a little more, like, um, timid, so he's a little <laughs> a little more the Japanese one, and my mom is a little more Jewish in that way, but um, I guess that's what it was like growing up with those two um, cultures you know the funny thing i always just saw myself as fully asian because the the community i grew up around is very primarily white and i was just seen as asian fully asian so that's kind of what i um saw myself as for a long time but i'm now more reckoning like having a biracial identity it's very interesting when did you realize uh, I'm coming out of Barbara Walters mode now, the, the blazer's coming off? <laughs> when did you realize that you had an aptitude for comedy? Um, I think comedically, I always wanted to, when I was little, I always loved to put on shows for the parents and make them laugh with big impressions, and that was something I liked to do and be theatrical. Um, and then with my friends, I realized that I, it wasn't until later, but so much of my mental energy was spent on being, trying to be funny and make them laugh and make jokes with them. And, you know, if it's like, if I could make them laugh or like make my family laugh, then I was like, oh, it was a good day because like I made my family, I made them laugh or I made them, I cracked a really good one. Um, so, um, I, oh, sorry, a siren, but, uh. Then I really tried it out when I did improv. I tried it out, and I did an acting class at my college, and then there was an improv element. And then some kids in the class were like, hey, we're going to go to an improv jam in the city. We should all go. And so I went to one, and then I fell in love with improv and then fell in love with stand-up um, at the same time. And I've never stopped. Were you a class clown? It's not a class. I mean, um... Maybe when I was in elementary school and I was a little more like openly flamboyant and like like that, but I was never a class clown because I was in the closet. I was way less confident in myself. So I would be funny with my small group of friends who like knew me. I would always crack jokes, but I was never like someone who was trying to do that in class. Okay, for our listeners and for you, Dylan, if, if any of you haven't guessed right now, I am a big Dylan Adler fan. <laughs> so I'm dying to know, can you describe your writing process? Yes, yes. My writing process, I, you know, it's um, kind of changed over the years. It's really changed over the years, but <clears throat> how I write a lot of the songs was I would start with a premise, like uh, the song about being bullied, I would kind of start with like an idea of like, maybe I'd write a song about this. And I would start with like a, an, an energy and like a melody and a vibe, and then like ba 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 
verses and lyrics hit them hit the most consistently were the tightest and the ones that I liked the most. And I probably wrote a total of like 20 verses for that song, but I only used five because, and those are the ones I ended up with because they, they were like the tightest of them. That was one way I would write songs, but how I sometimes write jokes, I will, um, maybe it's some, it's an idea I have that I think is funny and it's like the kernel of it. And I'll try it at a show and depending on how the response is or if I think it has legs, I'll try to add some more beats to it afterwards. And then if a beat works, it's like, oh, I'll keep this, maybe add something else. And if it doesn't work, oh, that didn't work, I'm cutting that beat and I'm gonna try out another beat. Or maybe it's like, I'll re- But um, I really love to try to add on to each joke or like reframe it, be like, this tag might be a little stronger um, from workshopping um, songs and jokes. But that's kind of how I, how I write them. Sometimes they're comedy videos that I've posted or tweeted that I'll try to frame into like a short, like um, a short joke or impression. It's always changing though, you know. I have to tell you about the bully song because that 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 triggered me a little bit when I saw it the other night because I still I occasionally have nightmares about my high school bullies. Bully. Oh, so, totally, totally, totally. So Jimmy, if you're listening, I heard you're an alcoholic divorcee, so. Ah, yeah. So fuck you. <laughs> fuck I'm, you, Jimmy. I, I have a podcast. I'm exactly. a specialist. And exactly. I'm talking to Dylan Adler right now. So. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I love that. I love to, that. So I'm throwing out my pain. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Fuck you, Jimmy. Yes. Thank you, Dylan. Okay. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Dylan's work, and we just talked about this a little bit, he seamlessly blends comedy and music with tracks like the Corona song, which my mother likes, by the way. I just wanted to. Oh my God. <laughs> That's very nice. I with her. I said, I'm going to interview this amazing comedian, look at what he does. And I sent her your website, and she said, I really like that Corona song. <laughs> <laughs> That's very sweet. When did music become such an important part of your act and your life, for that matter? Um, music became uh, an important part of my life. Well, I think I, my mom started me and my brother on piano lessons when we were young. Um, so music, we learned classical piano when we were six. And music has always been a very important part of my life. I always wanted, loved to like write songs and write like more instrumental pieces. And what I majored in in college was I wanted to compose score films. I wanted to be like Joe Hisaishi or like Hans Zimmer, uh, uh, John Williams. But then I fell in love with theater and I wanted to write musical theater and compose for that. And then I wanted to songwrite. So I've always really, really loved music. And then I discovered comedy, like found my love for it. And then I was happy to be able to weave music into um, my comedy life material. That's great. Yeah. So you were talking about your love of comedy. I love stand-up comedy. My parents actually exposed me to it at a really early age. Before oh, wow. I, before I was 10, they took me to see George Carlin live. Wow, seriously? Yeah, they... That's awesome. Uh, there might have been some some disapproving looks, but, you know, sure. I, didn't care. I I had a ball. So I've always been fascinated by this incredible art form. 
can you take me through a day in the life of a stand-up comic? Yes. So um, my daily life, it's always totally up in the air. Like sometimes during the day, I will now, a lot of the time, I'm trying to maybe like get an audition done or sometimes I have like a corporate gig in the morning or like earlier in the day that is that to making money or sometimes like I'll be trying to make content like sometimes I get um, paid to do content for Comedy Central stuff Um, but yeah like the morning is a free-for-all sometimes I'm working on auditions on writing on um, meeting people and then in the night I will send my audio tracks that I use for my comedy set and I send them to um, the person who's running the show and then I think about new jokes I want to try or um, new additions I want to make to other jokes and I work on that and workshop that and uh, then I do maybe two to three shows, um, subway, subway from each place, and then I end my night at around like sometimes one, but sometimes I ended at around 12. And then I just kind of veg out for the night because I'm like, I'm like, oh, now I get to finally like chill, <laughs> like, and rest. So yeah, it's kind of my routine. No rest for the weary for Dylan Adler. You heard it. Yes, 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 yes. But you're living your dream, so I Yeah, no, it's well worth it. Yes, I'm I'm tired a lot of the time, but I am it's the best tired because I'm exhausted doing things that I really care about and that I'm excited about, so yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. Now I'm I'm gonna act like this wasn't planned out ahead of time. I was hoping you would give our listeners and me a treat and absolutely play a song or two absolutely absolutely let me move this to the piano right now here's the piano this is kind of my setup i'm trying to write some songs and stuff um but absolutely of any any anything in particular that i'm i'm okay with anything um well you know i'm a sucker for your lin-manuel Miranda. Yes, yes, okay, let's do that. So, um, I, so this is, like, I recently heard online, I heard a rumor that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer of Hamilton, may do a Christmas duet with Michael Bublé, which is interesting, but, like, kind of a, a weird combination of people. I was trying to imagine, like, what would that Christmas duet sound like? I feel like Michael Bublé, he would go like this, and go like this. A beautiful sight. Well, happy tonight, walking in a window on the land. In the meadow, we come to the snowman. Never did it be the circus clown. Once again, I'm ready to say no. Hey, yo, are you ready for the revolution? And so, <laughs> yes, a little taste, a little taste. That was great. And can you play the Corona song for my mother? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so this is a song about, you know, the experience when there was a lot of anti-Asian violence and xenophobic rhetoric from Trump um, during the out, um, the first um, pen, the first quarantine. 
one corona was just a twinkle in our eye. But it ravaged the whole country because Trump fucked us over. He called it the China virus, then he got it. Ha 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 ha, bitch! If only the China virus killed Trump. Also, people use Corona too as an excuse to be racist to Asians. There is an Asian gay on Grindr who got the message, no COVID and no rice. It was definitely from a white gay. <laughs> yeah, white gays are the worst. One time I went on a date with a white gay. He was like, I have a samurai costume. I'd love to see you put it on. And then he talked to me about studying Japanese in college and about internment. Oh my God. I hope he gets corona. I hope he gets corona in the ass. Also, as a side note, I feel like I get the stink eye, especially from old white dudes. They look at me like I am an enemy from war. And they look at me like I like like I am the reason why their grandson didn't get the UC Berkeley. It's like your grandson didn't get the UC Berkeley because he's a lazy piece of shit. My 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 one point oh GP.
follow me on Instagram at Dylan Adler underscore, on Twitter at Dylan Adler 6, or on TikTok at Dylan Adler 7. <laughs> so you can follow me there. And also, um, me and Kelly are doing our show, Rape Victims Are Horny 2, on June 24th and June 25th um, uh, at the Caveat in New York. So if you're in New York and you want to see that, please, please come. Okay, we're going to definitely keep that in mind. Yay! Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Pretty much that. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Derek. You're amazing. Oh, you're amazing. This was such a treat for me. And on that note, we are indeed out of time. My guest this week has been Dylan Adler. And this is Derek Upright reminding you to keep it safe and keep it fun. <laughs>